Hey guys, it's Joe Wolverton, Teacher of Liberty, back with you again today. And I've got, uh, okay, I know that I say every time that this is going to be one of those things that are going to blow your mind, but today is not only going to be mind-blowing, but guys, if you've ever felt kindly toward me, if you've ever felt inspired by anything I taught, if you ever wanted to do your boy Joey a solid, today is the day. We have got to get these principles out to more people. So share the podcast. Subscribe if you already don't. Ask others to subscribe. It, it's one of those things we have to make the invitation. If they accept the invitation or not, that's on them. But we've got to get these principles out if we want a shot of restoring our liberty because as I say every time and as everyone that the founding fathers ever read informed them liberty once lost is lost forever and we haven't lost it all and we have a new generation is going to come up and give such testimony of their love of liberty that their names will be repeated as long as liberty lasts I guarantee you that that's not a question of my opinion and I'm not a prophet. That's simply my ability to read history and predict the future of any country, as Polybius said. And today is going to be one of those days that you're going to want to listen to the whole thing and you're going to want to pass it along. Please, guys, let's get this done, right? Now is the time that we distinguish between these sunshine patriots and the people that are ready to do the heavy lifting. But first, I want to bring your attention to something that was brought to my attention this morning. So I was being interviewed on a uh, Christian radio network this morning, and one, the host of the show asked me what I thought of the phrase, the sentence, I think he calls it, that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Now, that phrase is most often uh, misquoted, but I wanted to give you today the context of that quote, quotation, because I'm going to tell you it's even more strident, even more forceful in its defense of liberty than that sentence, okay? This is a letter written in November 1787 from Thomas Jefferson to William Smith. William Smith was, had written Jefferson saying, I'm worried about this Shays Rebellion. I'm worried about what this says of the state of unity in the country, what this says about the rule of law, etc., etc. And Thomas Jefferson, living in Paris at the time, wrote back to Mr. Smith, and I want to read you a part of that letter before I get, This isn't even part of today's lesson. I just want you to listen to this so you can have context so that when you repeat it, you can go and teach it, right? It becomes every man who's been warned to warn his neighbor, okay? So, William Smith, I'm scared. What does this mean about the love of the law in the country, people rebelling? And Thomas Jefferson said that if they had... So these farmers in Massachusetts, if you don't know, they were being dispossessed. They were being disenfranchised. They were being prevented from participating in the assembly, the legislative assembly of Massachusetts, because the people in Boston, the rich people in Boston who controlled the legislat legislature, were putting it on in, uh, scheduling for dates where they knew the farmers couldn't make it, right? And so that way, the entire rural part of Massachusetts would not be represented. They would have a quorum, however, they could make laws and then impose them upon these farmers without the consent of the farmers. But they would say, Hey, you knew when it was going to happen, knowingly preventing the farmers from being there. That's what Shays' Rebellion was. So Jefferson, in response to that, says, If they had remained quiet under such misconceptions, that would be lethargy, and it would be the forerunner of death of public liberty. We, he says, we have had 13 states. We are, have been independent for years. And it says... What country can exist without a rebellion? What country can preserve its liberties if their rulers... What country can preserve its liberties if their rulers are not warned from time to time that the people preserve the spirit of resistance? 
Let them take arms. Guys, did you hear that? If they remain quiet under such things, that is lethargy and that is the death of public liberty. What country can preserve its liberties if the rulers are not warned from time to time that the people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them, the people, take arms and the remedy is set to them as to rights and the facts. What signify, now listen, what signify, what does it matter a few lives lost in a century or two? If you're going to set right these rulers and remind them that they are the servants and we are the masters and that we still preserve the spirit of resistance that animated our ancestors, take up arms. The tree of of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure. Guys, do you understand the context of that? is much more strident, a much more powerful defense of liberty than even that one little phrase taken from it. What country can preserve its liberties if the rulers are not warned from time to time that the people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take up arms. Let the people take up arms. The remedy is to set them, the rulers, right as to the facts and the remedies what signify a few lives lost in a century or two the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of tyrants and patriots it is its natural manure thomas jefferson to william smith november 1787 look it up for yourself but guys this is the spirit We've got to remind our political servants that we have not lost the spirit of resistance that animated our ancestors, okay? If 50 dairy farmers can wake up and get their little guns out there ready to defend themselves against the world's most, one of the world's most powerful professional armies, I'm sure I can hear the spirits of those good men saying, go and do thou likewise. Mm. Love that cup. It's metal, keeps things cold. All right, so let's get to today, what we do in today. Y'all ready? Now, I realize, I have come to realize, particularly over the course of doing this podcast, that many of my listeners, viewers, and readers, you need to be taught some very, very basic principles of the true history of the creation of the Constitution of the intended function of the federal government and of the correct constitutional relationship between the federal government and the states. And to that end, guys, today I am going to share with you one of the documents that have been hidden from Americans for over, well, now almost 200 years. And you'll want to stay tuned I can see the uh, analytics. I know many of y'all, 15, 20 minutes, you're bouncing out. You'll want to stay tuned to the entirety of this one. And like I said at the top, you're going to want to pass this one around. Because at the end of the podcast, I'm going to name some of the other documents and books that have been purposely hidden from us. And I'm going to actually provide you with an opportunity to obtain copies of those yourself for a small donation, because I can tell you, not only are they nearly impossible to find in print and crazy expensive when you do, but you know there will come a day soon that the government will scrub them off the internet and they will be completely unavailable. And if they are scrubbed from the internet and are unavailable in print, it's as if they never existed. But if you have your own hard copy, you can not only learn these documents, read them for yourselves, but you can teach them to your children, those children that will need to be prepared to rise up and show that spirit of resistance that still animates American patriots today. So stay tuned to the end, 
and I will talk about several of these documents. And I will give you the opportunity for a very small donation to the cause, as, as Colonel Sidney called it, the good old cause, right? Of self-government, of liberty, of freedom from tyranny. And you can get copies of these uh, sent to you. I will send them out to you via email. Very easy. And you're going to want them because these are the things, guys, that can clear up so many of the misconceptions. And when you're sitting in your class, if you're someone who is unfortunate and have to sit in these uh, Roman classrooms being taught that Caesar is swell. Remember in Cato? You know, you, you murder one guy, you're in jail. You murder, you take an army and murder a million and you're a hero, right? So if you're sitting in these classrooms in Rome being taught that Caesar is swell, you at least will have these documents that you can teach yourself and maybe you will have the courage and the opportunity to present them to your teacher as alternative narratives, ones written by people who know. So it won't seem like your opinion. Just like this podcast, not my opinion. You don't care about my opinion, and that's fine. I'm just sharing with you documents that used to be common knowledge and that are hidden from us today. Stories from history that used to be retold in elementary school Stories that wouldn't be familiar to PhDs in history today. All right? So if you stay tuned to the end, I'm going to reveal a lot. Several, not a lot, Joey, come on. Okay, not a lot. Several of these books and documents that I can get sent out to you that I have preserved and that myself and my wife and other friends have retyped. Because even if the some of the ones that you can get in print, they're facsimile and you could hardly read them. And they're so danged expensive. We're talking some of these are, you know, 80 bucks on Amazon. And they're facsimiles to where it's nearly impossible to read. Well, we have retyped them, retypeset them, made them easy, and we're going to make them available to you. All right? So, let's go. Let's get it. Let's go. All right. How many of you know what a catechism is? Now, many of you, I think, will associate the word catechism with religious training, and that's fair enough. That's usually what it is. But catechism, in reality, it just, it's just a, uh, a method of teaching. It's from a Greek word meaning taught by mouth, right? That's all it is. It means taught by mouth. And what it is, it's a, it's a, a pedagogical, a, a method of teaching where... You ask a series of questions and answers. You ask questions, you teach the answers, and then ask the students to repeat them back to you. Now, this has been uh, marginalized, has been denigrated as a way of teaching. But I'm going to tell you, our founding fathers were taught in this way, using catechism, using questions and answers and memorization. But now today you're told, oh, that's ridiculous. It's, it's unnecessary to memorize anything. Right. What it's best to do is let somebody who's been trained to be a classroom manager uh, tell you when you can sharpen your pencil, when you can go to the bathroom, uh, what color ink you have to use, what kind of notes you have to keep. That's much more important than memorizing facts about the creation of the Constitution, right? Rubbish. So today, I am going to share with you one of these catechisms. It is a remarkable document, but you will instantly see why you've never heard of it, and you will instantly see why you wish you had, and you will instantly want a copy for yourselves right and not the copy that i have that is a a uh, facsimile that's not easy to read and if you're a parent guys please if you're a parent please stay tuned to the whole thing please get copies of these for your kids because you know not only right now are they you know financially prohibitive to purchase them from like amazon if you can find them but you know the day will come when the cloud 
evaporates because the government, whether you know it or not, the government owns the cloud. And when they erase these things from the Internet, they might as well never have existed, right? So get them for yourself. Today, I am going to introduce you to a political catechism written by Mariah Pinckney. Now, this is a copy you can get. I wouldn't order this copy because it's a facsimile copy and it's not cheap. But this is the catechism I'm sharing with you today, written in 1830 by one Mariah Pinckney. Uh, she, it's, now, it's spelled Maria, but it's pronounced Mariah. Written in 1830, she was the daughter of one of the founding fathers, Charles Pinckney. Now, she sadly had no children of her own, but she took the opportunity to be uh, the, teach, the tutor, the teacher of her nieces and nephews, and she was going to help them understand the true history of the creation of the Constitution, the intended function of the federal government, and the correct constitutional relationship between the states and the federal government. This was her goal. These were children that were taught this as young as five years old, guys. Five. Five-year-old. From five till 11 or 12. Well, there was actually a 14-year-old. She was sitting here. She, cre she wrote this document, and she taught them using catechism, which means what? What? Taught by mouth. I'm going to say the question and answer. I'm going to teach you to them. And then I'm going to say the question and you will have learned the answer and you will repeat it back to me. Guys, can you imagine the impact if we had a generation of five-year-old Americans who could not only repeat the questions and answers, but without having them put in that format, who, when a teacher said something like, today we're going to talk about how the Constitution came to be, and then repeated to teach the rubbish, the lies, that are put forward today by textbook and by teachers, if those five-year-olds could stand up and confident, confidently, with the spirit of resistance animating them, and with the unspoken aid of our ancestors, giving them that courage and standing behind them, and teach the teacher the true history of how the Constitution came to be, the intended purpose of the federal government, the correct constitutional relationship between the feds and the states. Could you imagine, guys, please, with all the, the love of someone who cares so much for you. Please, let's learn this. Because, yes, you can teach it to your children. But I know that you probably went to public school as well as I did. And that these things weren't taught to you. I had to teach these things to myself. And I know now that I had to teach them to myself so that one day I could teach y'all. And it is a great honor, a great privilege, and a great burden to do this. Help me carry this burden by teaching others once you've been taught. So I'm going to teach you. I'm gonna, we're just going to go over a few of these, right? Because uh, I'm not quite sure of the number of questions. It goes on for about mm, 20 pages. But they're rather large set types, so don't worry about it. Uh, the version that we've retyped in modern typeset, so easy to read, so easy to understand. Of course, giving credit to Miss Pinckney for having authored it, okay? But let's get into some of this because if we have any hope of toppling these tyrants and tearing down their little playhouse that they've built with our money, and our blood, 
and our property. We have got to learn these things. We have got to learn them and we have got to practice them. We have got to be animated, like Jefferson said, with that spirit of resistance so we can remind our political servants who is in charge and that we haven't forgotten that. Okay? All right. Let's do it, guys. And I'm just going to start off. We're just going to do the catechism. Remember, taught by mouth. This is the catechism written by Mariah Pinckney. I love how it says in the title page, by a lady, meaning herself, for her, God, for her goddaughter. Can you imagine? How, how tender is that? You know, I'm just going to write this for my nieces and nephews, and she happened to be the goddaughter, of, or she happened to be the godmother of one of them. All right. And here we go. Look at it just right here, just so you can see. A political catechism. All right? I'm just going to read from this. I'm just going to do a few of them, guys. Okay? Now, I'm not going to read it from the book because then you'll be hearing the of the page. And I just want you to focus on what is said. All right. Let's get it. Let's go. Question number one. What do we understand by the federal union? Answer. It is an agreement between sovereign states to forbear exerting their sovereign power over certain defined objects and to exert jointly their sovereign power over other specified objects through the agency of a general government. Each state agrees to exert its full sovereign power jointly for all external purposes and separately for all internal purposes or state concerns. Do you get that? How simple is that? And if you were to read this and read it over and over, just like you can memorize anything that you really want to, what, is, what do we understand by the Federal Union? And yeah, there may be some words in here that you have to look up. Do not let there be any Teflon words. If you need to look them up, look them up. But each state agrees to exert its full sovereign power jointly for external purposes, for things that are foreign, for things that affect all of the states together, and separately their full sovereign power for things that affect their state alone. Where is this agreement found? Answer, in the bond of union or compact between the states called the Federal Constitution. Where do we find the agreement that the states entered into to do what you just said? We find it in the bond of union the compact between the states that we call the Federal Constitution. Mm. Have a beverage right now, please. Mm. Goes down smooth. Next question. What is the nature of the Federal Constitution? It is a compact. Remember, that's the old word for contract. It's a compact based upon cautious and jealous specifications cautious and jealous guys cautious what not to give too much power cautious that they know power once given is hardly ever taken back and jealous jealous of the sovereignty jealous of the independence of these states it is a compact contract based upon cautious and jealous specifications the distinguished body of men who framed it, guarded it, and defined every power that was to be exercised through the agency of the general government and every other power not enumerated in that compact was to be reserved and exercised by the states. Reserved, held back. So what is the nature of the Constitution? It is a contract, a cautious and jealous specifications of power granted and defined to be used by an agent, 
the federal government, and that any power not granted to the federal government in that contract is reserved and exercised by the states. I'm going to give you a quick little lesson, quick little lesson. There, having been a, a former attorney, yes, I've repented, right? But I was an attorney, and there is a principle in contract or compact law called the Four Corners Doctrine. And what the Four Corners Doctrine says is this. If you have a contract, right, between two or more people, that all of the rights and obligations and authorities and power and expectations of the parties to that contract are to be found within the four corners, right? Just imagine a piece of paper within the four corners of that contract. You can't go and say, if you have a written contract, which the Constitution most certainly is. So imagine I have a contract with you for you to build a house for me. And we specify in there what color I want it, how big, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, right? How many stories, what kind of fixtures, the whole shebang, what the roof is to be made of, how big the lot is, all of it. We have all of it set forth in a written contract. And I go away and I'm living in my house waiting for y'all to finish the house that we contracted for you to build. You are now my agent because to me belongs the right of building my own house. But I have entered a contract, a compact with you, establishing you as my agent, you who acts in my name in some very well-defined and specified area, which is building of a house. I go away, I come back. You have done pretty much everything right, but you've also built a horse barn and a pool. And you give me the bill. And it's got the bill for all the stuff we contracted to do, but it's got the bill for the horse barn and several horses that you bought to put in there and the bill for the pool. And I say, uh, here you go, here's your check. And you're like, um, hey, that bill was for, we're just gonna say for the sake of discussion, $200,000, which I know is a joke in today's economy. That bill's for 200,000 and you only paid me 100,000, right? Well, I'm not gonna take this check because you owe me another 100,000. No, I don't. I owe you 100,000 for doing what you were allowed to do in the written contract that we both signed. Well, it's $200,000 worth of work. I guess you gotta take me to court then, Hoss. And you do, you take me to court. And I'm so happy about that because I'm fixing to teach you a lesson that maybe you will remember, right? You have to remind time to time that we have not lost the spirit of resistance. We go to court and it's like, all right, uh, you're suing me, right? So it's up to you to prove that I owe you money. It's not up to me to prove that I don't. Your Honor, uh, Mr. Wolverton and I, we had a contract for me to do a certain construction job on his house. Uh, objection, Your Honor? What's your objection, Mr. Wolverton? Um, we did not have an agreement to do construction. There was a contract for the building of a house. Is that true, sir? W well, yeah, we had a contract, but we had agreed for other things besides the house. Objection, Your Honor. I've already established that that is untrue. Okay, and then the judge would be like, you know what? Do either one of you have a copy of the contract? And you're gonna, you know, the house, I, I can't find it. And I have one, Your Honor, here you go. And of course it will be what? Notarized, because I'm no dummy, right? 
You're going to be taking it to El Notario, who will be stamping it. And so give it to the judge, and the judge will be like, uh, Home Builder Jones, this is pretty, pretty uh, airtight contract you had with Mr. Wolverton there. It says you're going to build him a house. It's all the specifications. And uh, the cost is here. Why are you suing him for 200000 when the contract very clearly says 100000 Well, Your Honor, because I went ahead and I built him a pool and a barn for some horses. I remember him saying how he liked horses and how he liked to swim. So I went ahead and did him a favor and built him a pool, a real nice pool, salt water, you know, really top of the line, and a barn. And I got him some horses and put him in there, got some hay. The whole thing, it looks I have pictures if you want to see them. It looks lovely. And the judge looks at me, uh, Mr. Wolverton, is there a separate contract for this? No, Your Honor. There is not. Uh, Mr. Homebuilder Jones, uh, did Mr. Wolverton ever say to you that he wanted those things? Well, no, but he said that he liked those things and I was there building and wanted to build it. Did you, do you have a contract showing that he wanted you to do those things for him and, and the specifications and very few and defined uh, authority that you had? Well, no, Your Honor, I just have the one contract. Okay, well, case is dismissed. Mr. Wolverton, you owe him 100000 and Mr. Homebuilder, don't be such a doofus from now on. It would be just that simple. You cannot, if there is a written contract, the principle is known as the, as the Four Corners Doctrine. If there is a written contract, then all the powers, obligations, duty, and authority are contained within the four corners of that written contract. Nothing you say that isn't written down in the four corners of that contract or in a separate contract added to that contract None of that matters. I do not have to pay for that pool, for that barn, for those horses, for any of that. Because you did not have the authority to build those things. Because that authority was not given by me, the homeowner, the principal, the sovereign, the boss. To you, the agent, the employee, the servant. You did not have that authority. It was not given within the four corners of that doctrine. Therefore, you did not have that authority. Therefore, I ain't paying for the pool and the barn. But what's the problem, guys? That's a very easy... That's, that contract principle is as old as King Alfred. At least a thousand years old in Anglo-American jurisprudence. What's the problem? The problem is our agent... The federal government that was created in this federal constitution, this compact between the states creating the federal government, the federal government keeps building pools and building stables and sending us the bill. And rather than taking them to court, so to speak, and saying, no, you don't have the authority in our contract. I'm not paying for it. We keep paying the bills. So guess what? What if that home builder had given me that bill for the pool and the stable and the horses and the whatnot. What if I'd paid him for it? Guess what? Next time, he would be building a pool, a stable, a shed, right? A bunker, right? A, a some sort of um, pavilion, a gazebo. He would have just kept doing things. And if I keep paying the bills, guess what? He is never going to stop. And pretty soon, my son will inherit the house. My grandson, they're going to have no idea that there ever was a contract with four corners, a written contract. They're just going to know that this is the way business is done. That they do something, you pay for it. Simple as that. But what if my great-grandson 
were to be rummaging through my stuff and he finds this original contract and he finds the court record of when I was sued by the original home builder. Guess what happens in that moment? All the paying for things that exceed the authority of the written contract comes to a halt. This is the hope. That by teaching you Miss Pinckney's catechism and these other documents that I'll show you at the end, that regardless of the fact that for generations we've been paying bills for projects for which our agent, our employee, the federal government did not have the authority. Regardless of that, there is now going to be a generation of Americans who say, we have a written contract, four corners, all authority contained within those four corners. It is not there. We are not paying it, period. And if you don't like it, we'll go hire a different construction company. So choose you whether you want to abide by the terms of the contract and make the money that we agree on or you want to continue violating the contract and make no money. And not only make no money, but next time you step a foot on this property, you'll be trespassing and I'll resort to my natural God-given right to protect my life, liberty, and property at the force of arms if necessary. Which way sounds best to you, Contractor Jones? Yeah, well, that's why I'm teaching the stuff about contracts. So what's the nature? We had some distinguished men made a contract with each other, created an agent known as the federal government, they put in some very well-defined powers within the four corners of that contract. Every other power not given is retained by the principals, by the employers, by the states. Next question. Did the states, and remember it's from Miss Pinckney's catechism, did the states informing the Constitution divest themselves of any part of their sovereignty? Answer, of not a particle. The individuality and sovereign personality of the states was not at all impaired. The states agreed by the Constitution that they would unite in exerting their powers therein specified and defined for the purpose and objects therein designated and through the agency of the machinery therein created. But the power exercised by the functionaries of the general government is not inherent in them, but in the states whose agent they are. The Constitution is their power of attorney to do certain acts and contains connected within their authority to act their letter of instruction as to the manner in which they shall act. They are the servants. The power which gives validity to their acts is in their masters, the states. Boom! If you don't know, better ask somebody who do. And I do. And I'm telling you, Miss Pinckney knew. Did the states divest? Did they give away sovereignty to the federal government? Did I give away my right to build my house to the home builder? No. Could I have said, if this home builder, if I'm living next door and they're building out and I notice them digging a pool, could I run over there right now and say, no, mm -mm, no, sir. You had authority to build that house and that's it. This pool, that no, 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 sir. Could they have said to me, oh, but we have a contract to build your house. So I'm going to go ahead and build the, the pool and the barn. No. Could I take back the... And what if the house wasn't even finished? You know what? Y'all have shown yourselves untrustworthy that you have already violated our con the terms of our contract. I'm going to go ahead and finish the house myself. I'll pay you for what you've done, but I'm going to 
take back my natural authority to build my own house. Is there any way that that home builder can say, but we had a contract, so I'm going to go ahead and finish? No. The states did not permanently give to the federal government their sovereignty. They created the, the federal government as an agent with certain defined powers within the four corners of that contract. Not only did they tell them what to do, they told them how they could do it. Not only do we say only Congress can make laws, but we said here's how those laws are made. So if you don't follow that, that's not a law. If you exceed your authority granted to you by the employer, the states, in that contract that created your power, your agency, that power doesn't exist. It is null, void, and of absolutely no legal effect. We do not have any moral or legal obligation to obey tyrannical acts, to enforce tyrannical programs, to respect any act of tyranny committed by those who were constitutionally created to be our servants. In fact, it has been said by Colonel Sidney and others that we have a moral obligation to sever ties with that government. Maybe you've heard of the Declaration of Independence. We have no obligation the Constitution lays out the totality of their authority to act and the instruction of how to carry out those acts. They are the servant. Is the, you know, here's something that people don't recognize today. They will say, that's within the sovereignty of the federal government. Guess what? The federal government has no sovereignty at all. It has, because sovereignty means the ability to make law without the permission of any other body. No. The federal government can make law only because the states gave it that permission. Do you realize that? That hasn't been taught in almost 200 years. The federal government has no sovereignty. It has limited and defined contractual, that is to say, constitutional authority to act on behalf of the principles, the states. They are simply an employee. An employee only has the authority given to it by the employer. The employee does not have any natural authority. Just because I'm hired for a job, if I start doing another job that I was not hired to do, the boss is under no obligation to pay me. If I was hired to, which I was when I was in college, I was hired to clean the bathrooms in all the dorms. Well, if I decided, you know what, instead of just cleaning the bathrooms, I'm going to go ahead and vacuum the carpets too and then just go ahead and submit a time card for that too. Do you think I'd have been paid? No. No, I'd have been paid for scrubbing the bathrooms and that's it. The federal government, guys, and that maybe this shocks you, and I hope it does. Well, I hope it doesn't, but I'm glad if it does because the federal government has no independent authority. Any authority that is possessed by the federal government was granted to it by the states within the four corners of the contract wherein it was created, the Constitution. As Miss Pinckney said, the agency 
of the machinery therein created. And the power exercised by the general government is not inherent in it, but in the states whose agent the federal government is. I'm just getting fired up. You know what I'm saying? Guys, learn this lesson. We got to stop paying these bills for these unauthorized, illegal, unconstitutional acts of our employees. And if they insist on carrying out, then we have got to fire them and hire someone who will do it correctly, do it according to the Constitution, to the contract. Don't you think I'd have been fired? Maybe not the first time. The first time my boss probably would have said, that's ridiculous, go clean the bathrooms. If I'd have kept doing it, guess what he would have done? You're fired. I wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. Right? The Declaration of Independence, that's why I say, guys, you do not pretend, okay? Do not even pretend to understand, much less teach, the Constitution unless you understand the Declaration of Independence. The Constitution is simply a contract wherein certain authority to act was granted to our agent by the states. Any act of our employee, our agent, the federal government, that goes beyond the four corners of their employment contract is null, void, and of no legal effect. We got to stop writing the checks and we got to hold up the contract and say, it's on you to prove you had that authority. You want to look up something interesting? Look up something that used to be used in England. You can look it up in Blackstone and other places. It's called a quo warranto. Look up that Q-U-O warrant and then with an O. Look that up. Maybe we ought to look into that occasionally. Start serving quo warranto writs on some of these people. Saying, uh, yeah, who gave you the authority? Because here's the contract and you don't have that authority. Next question. Where is the power of Congress during the recess of that body? Answer, it possesses no sovereign power. It is but the agent of the sovereign states. So where is it? Uh, where it always is? With the states? If it's in recess? Next question. Can you illustrate this retention of sovereignty by the states by another example? Answer, I'd be happy to. Suppose an individual, for instance, was to stipulate to transact a portion of his business by an agent and the remainder by himself, and to forbear to exert his moral faculties and physical energies upon that class of subjects which by his agreement are to be acted upon by his agent. Okay? In simpler words, suppose I hire someone to be my employee and that I write a contract laying out what I expect and allow my employee, my agent, to do. That we stipulate, we agree. Here's what you're able to do, employee. Do you agree? Right? And that I say that I could, I have a natural right to do these things but I'm going to allow you to do it. If you agree, I'm going to allow you to do it. And I'm going to reserve my physical strength for something else, to do something else. My time, right? I'm going to, I want you to go grocery shopping for me because I'm going to do something else with my time. I agree to let you go shopping. You must go to the following stores. You must not pay more than this price. You must use this credit card. You must have the groceries returned to my home by this time. What is that? That's the duties I want you to perform 
and the way I want you to perform them. Who are you? My agent, my employee. Where do you find all of these things listed? In our contract. Now, continuing. Has he, the employer, by his stipulation, lessened, impaired, or diminished his own moral and physical powers? On the contrary, the validity of the agency depends on his retaining those faculties. For if he shall become insane or die, the agent cannot act, because the power of the principle has become extinct. So it is the power, the full, subsisting, sovereign power of the states, which gives validity to the acts of the general government. The validity of these acts does not result from the exercise of a portion of the sovereign power of each state. If you have a contract with me to do my grocery shopping and I lay out all the things I just mentioned, where to shop, how much to pay, when I want them, any substitutions I might allow, which credit card to use, all of those things. If I die, do you still have the authority to go do grocery shopping for me? No. And if you took my heirs to court and wanted them to pay the bills for months of grocery shopping that you were still doing, and the judge says to me, to, to me let's suppose I'm my own heir, uh, why haven't you paid the grocery? Because uh, we didn't have a contract? And the grocery shopper will say, what? Well, yes, we did. It's right here. And the judge will say, let me see it. Well, aren't you Mr. Warburton? Well, yes, but I'm his son. That contract was with my father. And then the judge will turn to the grocery shopper and say, are you okay, son? Did you fall on your head? Did you lick some lead paint? This contract was with this man's father, not with him. He has no obligation. The agency that you had died when the power that created that agency died. The federal government has no authority other than that which is given to it by the states. It has no authority at all if the states have no authority. If a state decides not to enforce an unconstitutional act of the federal government, the other states can do whatever they like, right? If me and a bunch of neighbors, if myself and a bunch of neighbors enter into a contract with a home builder to build our homes and here's the floor plans and the layouts and the whole shebang, but it does not include building pools, but the home builder builds pools for all of us, if all my neighbors pay for their pools, even though the home builder had no authority to do it, if all my neighbors pay for the pools, do I have to pay for the pool as well? Does that make the rest of the contract void? No. It could if I wanted it to, but I wouldn't do that. If he did what he was supposed to do and built my house, I'd pay for my house. I would feel that would be a moral obligation. If I went to court, the judge would make it a legal obligation. But there's no way he'd make me pay for that pool, regardless of the fact that my neighbors decided they wanted to allow him to do that which exceeded his contractual authority. So if I'm sitting here in Tennessee and President <clears throat> Joe Biden issues an executive order saying, well, we have a new COVID and everybody 
needs to wear a mask when they walk outside. That authority is not granted to the president in our contract. So if that grocery, if that grocery purchaser went and bought me a car, would I be expected to pay for the car too? It's, you're laughing, but guys, do you realize we've been paying for the car and for the pool and for the stable and for the horses to the amount of some $30 trillion? He who laughs last laughs loudest. The federal government's our employee, but they don't care. We've been, we've been paying it for work it had no authority to do. So you may laugh at that, but we're the fools. We don't have to pay for that. There is no legal or moral obligation to do that. In fact, there is a legal and moral obligation not to do that. So as to strengthen the union, to violate the contract, that's a fireable offense. If I, as the boss, fail to enforce the contract, which, do I care about the company? No. Because if I cared about the company, I would enforce the contract, whether you liked it or not. And then you would be put in the position of coming back inside the four corners of your employment contract or deciding that you were no longer worthy of being employed by the company. Loyalty to the contract, loyalty to the Constitution, loyalty to the Union of States is shown not by allowing and obeying and enforcing unconstitutional acts of the federal government. Rather, it is shown in refusing to obey, enforce, carry out any unconstitutional act. That, to act outside the terms of the contract, is treason. To insist that the terms of the contract that we call the Constitution be adhered to, that is patriotism and loyalty. And if I'm the only house in the neighborhood that insists on enforcing the contract as written, that has nothing to do with whether my neighbors decide they want to be taken advantage of or not. Simple as that. But maybe one of my neighbors will just be talking one day and he's like, oh man, I can't believe I had to pay so much more money than I anticipated. Well, why is that, Steve? Why, what do you mean? Well, you know, that home builder that we hired to build our little subdivision, we were told the house is going to cost 100000 but... We had to pay 200000 because he built that pool and that shed, that barn. No, you didn't. What do you mean? Well, I only paid 100000 Well, you can't do that. We all paid 200000 That's a swell story. Thanks, Steve. But we had a contract, remember? Well, yeah. Did the contract say he could build a pool and a barn? I don't remember. I don't look at that thing. Why don't you go get it? Okay. Do, 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 do. Hey, Joe. Yes, Steve. It doesn't say anything about a pool or a barn. Matter of fact, it says just a house and that here's how much we're going to pay for it. I paid twice that because of the pool and the barn. Yeah, that was pretty dumb, wasn't it? Yeah, considering I had to take out a loan for this. And I had to 
I had to take out a loan and, uh, you know, it's really caused a, a financial burden on us. Yeah, I, I can imagine paying for things that you weren't required to pay for, being tricked by the home builder. I imagine that, yeah, that stinks, man. I'm sorry about that. Well, what can I do? Well, I, I guess you could, now that you've rediscovered the contract, you can, I guess you've got two choices, don't you? You can take the home builder back to, back to court if the statute of limitations hadn't passed, you know. Or you can learn to pay more attention to contracts in the future with your employees. Maybe not ever hire that guy again. Either one of those things would be fine. Man, Joe, I can't believe you only paid half of what the rest of us paid. I can't believe the rest of y'all paid twice when you're grown men. When you can read English. When you had a written contract. I can't believe you kept paying those bills. That's what I can't believe. Seems like what I did should be normal and what y'all did should be abnormal. And I'm just spitballing here and just off the top of my head. But I'm imagining that home builder is going around building other subdivisions, doing the same dang thing, because all of you but me decided to go ahead and be suckers for him. So I think you uh, need to make sure, first of all, you never hire him again. And second of all, I'd make sure and hurry down there and make sure you can't get him can't get your money back based on this contract and seen guys do you understand what I just explained in other words the Constitution the federal government is the home builder the contract is the Constitution Steve and the other neighbors those are the other states the fact that they decide whether or not to put on masks mattereth not to me. That authority doesn't exist in the Constitution. So the sovereign Republic of Tennessee, who, what? Did it give away? Didn't Tennessee give away its sovereignty when it formed the Constitution? No, not a particle. Federal government, in fact, doesn't have any sovereignty. It has authority that the sovereigns gave it. Where do I find all this? In the compact known as the Federal Constitution. Now, guys, I can list for you other documents. I have several documents. And including, there's so much more. But I think the lesson, I hope the lesson has gotten through to you today. But I also have Madison's report of 1800. I have the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. Okay. I have Abel Upshur's, a brief inquiry into the federal constitution. I have all of those things that I can send you. And if you want your own hard copy of Miss Pinckney's Political Catechism, of John Taylor's Essay on Union, of Abel Upshur's um, Brief Inquiry about the Constitution, if you want any of that, and I'll put the list in the show notes. You tell me which one, and on my channel page, there's my Venmo and PayPal, Two dollars each. I think I, I think there's six there, I think. And if you get all of them, I'll just make it ten dollars or two dollars each. But if you get all of them, I'll give you a little discount. There might only be five. Okay, if there's only five or four, whatever there is, if you buy all of them, I'll give you one of them free. Two dollars. Okay, modern typeset where you can easily read them. I'll deliver to them them to you via PDF to your email. You can print them out or do whatever you want to. I, I use the PDFs using a, a, an app called Notability so I can mark them up. 
and it saves all my markups. It's wonderful. I think Apple Notes does that now too, and, and some other programs. I just use Notability. It's the one I like. But look in the show notes for the documents, including the one that I read to you from today, Miss Pinckney's Political Catechism, and all the others. And again, if you think I'm fixing to get rich off that, then I don't think you understand money anyway. Okay? I'm simply doing that so I can continue doing these podcasts, continue doing all I do for the good old cause. And that's one way for you to contribute. Share this. Play this for your classes so they can understand what the Constitution is, how it really came to be, how it is intended to function. What's the correct constitutional relationship between the states and the federal government? Share this, guys. Show this to other people. Get these documents now while they're still available. Because liberty once lost is lost forever, but we haven't lost it all yet. And let's see that generation rise up who goes back, finds the contract, and refuses to pay for any unauthorized act of the federal government. And if the federal government refuses to act within the four corners of the contract that created its authority, then it's time to fire those employees and find some who are more trustworthy. Don't you agree? Thank you guys. Talk to you in a couple of days. Thank <laughs> you.